0: So this is um, a psychotherapy center. When you put in session, the little in session sign on the door, that means we're in session. One thing that I found very lovely was as I was coming in, I saw all our shoes gathered together, all pointing towards the coat area. And it was like a, a, a crowd of intentions. <laughs> and it was such a lovely sight and you know, I said oh they're all in there in sessions <laughs> there's something about meditators shoes you know if you, when you go on retreat and you see the different assortment of shoes at the door then but that's that's as if we take off the world and we leave it at the door Actually, we don't. We take it, we bring it in here with us. Speaking of doors, I was having a nap in the next room, little lie down, and I realized it's one o'clock, So, uh, five to one, so I better come out. And I couldn't open the door <laughs> because the handle didn't turn. And I thought, to open this door, you have to turn the handle. I turned and turned, and then I started to knock on the door, (laughs) hoping somebody would let me out. (laughs) Nobody came. so I thought, well, I'll try again. So I turned and turned and it wouldn't open. And then I realized that maybe this door opens a different way. So I pulled it and it opened right away. (laughs) Otherwise, I know somebody would have. Wondered where I am. (laughs) Heard this little voice, hello. (laughs) We think we're on the inside trying to get out, but we're on the outside trying to get in. I, I found that very interesting in terms of meditation. In our meditation practice, we are caught up in our mind, and we're trying to get out of our mind into the breath. Out of our mind, into the breath, or I don't mean out of our mind. <laughs> <laughs> I mean outside of our suffering to um, get to something else. But actually, we're ro- we're knocking on the wrong side of the door. We're we're already deeply inside the breath. We don't have to go anywhere else, or we're already free. We're already outside of the suffering of our minds, whichever side you think might be in or out, it doesn't matter. There's no, there's, there's no division, no separation between what we're trying to get and what we are. It's just a matter of not thinking that we're on the wrong side of the door, and then we're there. I will try to describe this a little bit more so that it doesn't seem too obscure. But it did make me think that with trying to open the door and not realizing that the handle has to just be pulled rather than turned, it's the same thing when we're trying to get out of our suffering and go to something else in order to be happy, like in the story we read this morning, it was another town. Let's go to another town, or let's be born in a different family, or into a different realm, or try... uh, let's practice yoga or let's go on a tai chi retreat and learn different kind of body movement and then we will find the way to that inner place where we can be happy or we can find a way to get outside this mind that will not stop crying tormenting us with memories of past insults and injuries that have been done to us but if we just learn how to remove the barrier between ourselves and the empty inner space of light and freedom where our true abiding is, it's our true home, then we can, we can open the door easily without anybody coming to rescue us. In fact, no one's going to come and rescue us. Um, Somebody might help us. But we have to take responsibility for our own suffering. And with the meditation practice, in order to be able to enter into the breath, deeply, profoundly, in a liberating way, we have to understand how to work with it, how to open ourselves to the present moment, if you will. So instead of twisting and turning like this, we just pull gently. And it falls away. And what I'm getting to here is there is a there is a technique, of course. There is a methodology for doing it. The very first thing is to understand that we have to pay attention to one object, not two. We cannot be divided in our attention. So when you're meditating, take very good care to notice where is my mind. Or where is the attention? Not using the word my is helpful, because that that's identification with, I'm a meditator. Here I am in session. I'm a—I'm focusing on, I'm meditating. But it's very helpful to remember that, to understand, or begin to understand, that there isn't this my. It doesn't, there's nobody to be, nothing that belongs to us as a person. And that includes our suffering. And that's very liberating right there. To go to that place of non-ego. No subject, no object. So if we call it just paying attention to the breath, the attention on the breath, that helps us get a bit of a handle on this idea of not-self. Because that's where the suffering all begins. Because we believe there is a solid person in there who has to get liberated or who has to suffer. So just being with the breath, bringing attention to breathing, is the very first step, with non-division. Non-division in the sense of the mind is not going to get distracted. It will get distracted. But our intention, just like those shoes outside the door, is that we're going to come into this room and sit only in this room. We're not going to wander around into every other room in the building to see what everyone else is doing. You see? So we just choose one place, and we go to that place, no matter what's going on in that place. We make the commitment to stay there and do the work there, not be worried about what other people are doing in their rooms. Maybe you'd like to go do what they're doing upstairs, or maybe you'd like to go back to that nice talking room, (laughs) where where the cups of tea are. But as long as we're in session in this room where we're meditating, then the object is to pay attention to the breath or the object of meditation and let the mind relax. Let the mind renounce or give up the world, the world outside this door. The world outside this door becomes the world outside your breath. We've got to get specific here. You know, really focus down into how the the um, conditions of our life outside of meditation apply to what we do inside our mind, inside our, in the practice itself. What kind of mind comes to the breath? Breathing is natural. We're not forcing it. We're not making anything out of it. We've been breathing for 30, 40, 50, 60, or whatever, many years. The breath knows exactly what to do. Don't try to do anything to it, except pay attention to it. Receive it. Open to it. Welcome it. Accept it. It may be an unpleasant moment. There may be anger in your heart. There may be frustration. There may be a a sense of sleepiness, especially after eating a nice meal. I just want to have a little nap in here. But that's okay. Whatever is arising, to be aware that this is the quality of the attention. Not my attention, but this body-mind. The way it's experiencing the breath is like this. That's very, very important. When the breath arises and the mind goes to it, keep an attitude of curiosity. First, there's non-distraction or non-division. We're not going outside the door. Then, if there's boredom in the mind, oh, why did I choose to come here today? It's Sunday, I could have... And you're thinking, and you're already outside the door. You want to be inside, but you're outside. So, just keep bringing the mind back. That's a constant returning and a curiosity. Oh, what are we doing in here? What can I learn in here? focusing on the inside. It's the inner vision, it's not looking around and watching what other people's breath looks like, because we can't. Oh well, she's all crumpled over and he's sitting straight, and never mind all that. What is happening here in this body-mind? So it's non-distraction and it's curiosity about one's own experience. You don't like your body, you don't like your age, you don't like your education, you don't like your hair. the way you look, the way you feel, what happened yesterday, what you're going to do tomorrow, it doesn't matter. Notice that tone of not liking. So instead of thinking, it's bad, it's not what I want, and you want to get away from it, that's impatience, right? We go to the feeling, the tone, the emotional tone or the state of mind that says not liking. Ne- what is that? It's negativity. Is it negativity? Well, yeah. I'm, I'm out of here. So, apart from the negativity, there's a belief somehow that we can change that. But liberation is not going away from that negativity. Like this morning when the Buddha was telling Ananda, we we should, no, we should not leave this town, even if we're being abused, what should we do? Let's stay. We will stay here until they stop abusing us. So when you see that negativity, when you feel the negativity in the mind, when you hear it, you just stay with it. Stay. Like you say to your dog, stay. 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 Stay put. So we've made a commitment to come in the room. We're here. Okay, you might stay for an hour. But can you stay with the breathing without the mind wandering? No. Why? Because it's not interesting. It's boring. Memories are flooding the mind. It's hard to stay on the breath. The concentration keeps wavering. Bring up this sense of listening to all of that. Feeling it. What is that? What is all that stuff? It's restlessness, isn't it? <coughs> what is a mind that won't stay still? It's restless. What is a mind that goes to sleep? Sleepy. It's tired. What is a mind that is unhappy or that is negative? It's aversion. What is a mind that wants something else, that wants to go to another room or another kind of meditation practice or wants to Listen to a talk instead of focus on the breath. It's the wanting mind. It's a greed. It's a kind of greeting, grasping, clinging. So and then what is the mind that doesn't know what's going on? <laughs> it's confusion or it's doubt. Those are the five obstacles to practising and being with the breath. So first we practice not leaving the breath, we keep returning to it, not distracting, returning, returning to the breath, returning to the body. It's easy to return to the body because it's big. It's heavy, it's big, we can feel it. Can you all feel the body? Of course. So what does it feel like? Pressure. Heavy. Smooth. You feel coolness, temperature, some experience physical. That's very grounding. Then you get curious. You bring your attention into the experience itself and you stay with it. And the next breath is curiosity. What is it? Ask. What is it? What is it? Instead of pressure. Oh, yeah. Pressure. And then off, you're thinking. Or heaviness. Oh, I've got to lose weight. Not like... <laughs> We have to be very, very mindful. What is the mind doing? Is it restless? Yeah, it's all thinking about the diet that we're going to follow next week. But we have to come back, return to the breath and be curious, study. This is the faculty or the, this is the quality of vichara. One, the first one is vitaka. You're aiming the mind, these are five qualities of concentration, very important. You're aiming your mind at one object only. It's an internal object. Then, vichara, is you study it, you hold it in consciousness, and you observe it. You observe it. Does it change? Observe the change. Is it, just notice, are there any hindrances present? present. <laughs> yes, are there any hindrances present? And are they governing? The mind, what is prevailing in consciousness? Is it greed, aversion, restlessness, sleepiness, or confusion, doubt? Doubt is very difficult because if we're in doubt, then we don't, we find ourselves having, there's a speech that will come on very strong, a, a, a whole dissertation in there about why I shouldn't meditate. That's what happens with a doubting mind we don't have to listen to that. Well, actually, we don't have to listen to it, but we have to do something to it. What's that? What do you do when your mind starts doubting you? You don't get up and leave. Well, some of you might. But I encourage you to stay. Stay the course. Stay with the, the sound of, I don't believe in this. And just let it go. And then be curious. Well, what's behind that dissertation of doubt? What's behind that prevailing voice, that unskillful president who's in charge? I name no names. (laughs) It's a doubting, it's a confusion. We don't listen to that. We have a, a voice of wisdom, which is come back to the present moment and just be curious and study it. What is that? What's in there? What's beneath the doubt? Beneath the doubt is the mind that cannot go deeply to the object and study it because it can't stay with the object. It's grasping for other things. It's grasping for pleasant ideas. Easy things. I want something easy here. This is too hard. doesn't matter. That's an opinion. That's a thought. How much our awareness sharp, discerning awareness can cut through the delusion of the mind in one breath is a miracle. If we can just do those two things, keep aiming, returning to the meditation object and diving into it with curiosity, with the mind of a scientist. Take all your measuring Mm -hmm. tools and take the barometer out. I don't mean literally see how many centimeters long your breath is, obviously, but I mean feel the qualitative tone of the breath. Is it smooth? You'd be amazed what you could do with one breath. Is it ruffled? Vibrating? Is it energetic? Or is it lagging? Slow? Uh, Do you feel sinking feeling when you breathe? What are you feeling? Is it pleasant or painful? Is it short or long? Not why is it short and why is it why is it long? That doesn't matter. That's thinking. We're not this is center of psychoanalysis, but we're not really here to psychoanalyze our breath. Meditation is not thinking. It's not really analysis. There is, as I mentioned this morning, there is a time when it's useful to take a quality like patience, or take the qualities of the, the Buddha, for example, or the universal characteristics of, of all conditioned things and contemplate them, like what's impermanent? Why is the breath impermanent? How is it impermanent? Or what is suffering? What is dukkha? Why why do we suffer? Or how do we suffer? How is suffering? We contemplate suffering. Or we contemplate Who am I? Who is it that's thinking this aspect of this quality of there is no one there? But that doesn't liberate us. That only makes us more curious to investigate our experience. The thinking mind will not necessarily liberate us. But if we meditate deeply on our experience and then contemplate it, we can come to a place of great understanding. A deep intuitive knowledge arises out of those depths, and then we can chew it, taste it, and realize how liberating it is. That kind of thinking is skillful. Mm -hmm. But just to try to understand why am I breathing, you might as well sign up for biology. Meditation is not thinking about the experience. It's, It's being the breath. It's being with the experience. It's feeling it no matter how terrible, no matter how frightening, no matter how confusing. So memories, we let them go. Angry feelings, we feel them. The angry thoughts, we let them go. Sad feelings, we feel them. Sorrow. The thoughts about the past and why things happened and why me and if only and thinking about those clever things we could have said to the person that was insulting us we just let all that go and we come back to just feeling the emotion or the the sensation in the heart around those memories, around those thoughts coming back to what's the physical experience here and now and studying it Inside our anger is the non-anger that we're looking for, is that space which is not angry, or that moment which is free of anger. It's, it's not far away from anger itself. It's just seeing it with the eyes of wisdom and understanding what is this anger. It's impermanent. Is it permanent? Sometimes it feels pretty permanent. Who feels anger is permanent? Anybody here? Mm -hmm. Some days it feels very, very permanent. And that's when we get depressed. Because it feels like it'll never end. And we begin to believe that. And some states of mind are so dark, and so thick, and so long-lasting, that we become terrified, believe, and we identify with those states of mind, we believe that we will always be caught in that. So there is. A, if we have no perspective on our depression, it's very, very difficult to use depressed states of mind as the object of meditation. We need some perspective. We do need some, we need to be able to ventilate around it before we can use it as a way to free ourselves from that That getting stuck into the contents of what is actually a process. A process means it's flowing. And it can look very blurry, yes. It can appear to be have no handle on it, no way that we can get some space from it, room to breathe even. So then meditation might not be uh, possible at that time. But we we might be able to come back to it, but the value of meditation for those who can get some perspective on their experience is that we can we can begin to focus on a depressed thought, for example, and notice that it it isn't glue; it's not stuck to us. That there are times when. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end of that thought. And the mind might move on to something else. That doesn't mean that we're experiencing any joy either. But there might be a neutral moment. So it is possible to give a little bit of liberation from sorrow or from sadness. Or from chronic states of gloom. Or self-deprecation. The most important thing is when we're understanding how to practice this technique and how to realize that our mental process is a process and the physical process where consciousness is aware of what's happening in the mind, when we see that this is one process knowing another process, that's when we're able to get some understanding that there is no solid person in there who's depressed. That kind of consciousness or awareness can be sustained when we're able to continue listening to the voice, continuing to f- go to the feeling tone, what it feels like, what does regret feel like. Regret or guilt, well, guilt is a concept. Regret as a, take regret as just. A bad feeling, I don't know, what what would you call it? A contraction in your heart when you have a memory of something you do, something you did, or something that, a habit that you, like smoking. No, I better not say that. (laughs) So, if we can go to the associated feeling that comes up with the, the memory of an unskillful action, we feel that, we know that it's, it comes up as a tightening in the heart, it lasts for a little while, then it disappears. Then the memory is gone and we're thinking about something else. But going to those places that are difficult, going to the places that are fearful, that we dislike about ourselves, and staying with the negative feeling, rather than getting caught up in establishing an identity. I'm a bad person or I hate myself. It's just Those are just thoughts, and they're negative thoughts. They arise and they cease. They come and they go, just like this train. That's very, very important. But to see the process of the coming and going of thought, to see the process of the coming and going of consciousness of those thoughts, of those regrets, of those feelings in the heart, again and again, So we study that and we realize this process is like the breath. It just keeps coming and going. Just being with it can be very, very peaceful. And that brings us to the third factor of concentration, which is there can be bliss. There can be a a sense of happiness, a, a little bit of freedom, just to notice that this is just like the water element. If you pour water out of a jar, what does it do? It empties. It empties. It falls down. It falls away. So if we sit in the present moment and we allow these processes, just like you allow the breath to come and go, and you don't try to grab it and make it a a special way, or make it be like it was in the last retreat, just listening to the tide of the breath come and go, it's empty, isn't it? It's like the water element. The thoughts, if we just allow those thoughts, oh yes, those terrible things that happened, we let them arise and cease. They come and they go. The anger, we know it as a version of hostility, of negativity. It's a feeling in the heart. We feel it. We let it arise and cease. And we eventually become empty. Why is that? So why do we feel empty? Because we're allowing ourselves to be at one with our true nature. As Jericho Beck says, we atone, Atoning for unskillfulness means we become one with our knowledge of what is good, what is pure, what is right. And we sit with that. We have this sense of Oneness with the moment. It's a pure moment. One of the most skillful things we can do is develop this awareness and this ability to be awake to the present moment, not to be asleep, not to be angry, not to be that restlessness or that greed or that hostility, just to be empty and let it all pass through us. It's passing through. It's a passing show. The past, the future, is it real? It's a passing show. It's past. It's finished. It's dead. The future doesn't exist. Our thoughts about the past and the future are only thoughts. They're not real. They're not what we are. They come and they go. We are empty when we know that. When we abide with the mind that understands These processes coming and going, mental and physical. Joy. The result of that emptying is a joyful quality. When we first feel that kind of joyfulness, it's like a taste of freedom, as Ajahn Chah calls it. We want more. And that's, again, that's back into the greed. I'm not getting, aversion, I'm not getting it. greed, I want it. Um, restlessness, where is it, sleepiness, I'm tired of waiting for it to come back, <laughs> and doubt, I don't think I can do it the right way anymore. So those the obstacles again, all those thoughts, mm-hmm. just let them go, let them, it's natural, everyone, isn't it comforting that everyone in the whole room is faced with those same obstacles, it's not your personal obstacles, mm-hmm. you know? like my address is restlessness, that's where I hang out, no. Everybody experiences restlessness, aversion, happiness and unhappiness with the present, with the past, with the future. But we let it go and in that letting it go we <laughs> up surges this wonderful feeling of being at one with everything. As a peace. At first, when that peace is very immature, it might come like a showering like a bubbling up, an overwhelm, like little goosebumps all over your body, or maybe you won't even feel your body. You feel like, you feel so light, you feel bright, you feel like the sun is shining in your heart. So many ways to describe that piti. It's a rapturous feeling. Our concentration becomes more and more mature as we know the joy as joy, and we don't get hooked on it. If we only meditate because we're addicted to those joyful moments, that's not such a wholesome motive. The reason that all those shoes are intended out there, parked out there, like these beautiful intentions, is because we want to be liberated from even our addictions to joy. We want to be able to experience life unconditionally equanimous, whatever comes up, whether it's joy or non-joy, we're not going to be moved. So that that gives us a clue that if we're moving towards the joy, if you notice yourself leaning into the breath, hoping that it's going to, that blissful feeling is going to come, there's something a little out of balance there. It's not equivalent or a bit too interested, but in, in a biased way. The empty mind knows non-desire. It knows love, unconditional. This is a place of true freedom. So what kind of mind is empty? It doesn't move. When that joy is very exciting, that's a- actually an obstacle to concentration. The really concentrated mind is very, very still. It's not excited. Jhana, or absorption, has two enemies. One of them is fear. I don't know about this. And the other one is, I want it. It's overly excited, overly eager. But we're trying to get to the mind that is so still that it's not excited by that joy. It begins to experience the joy as just serenity. It's a a lovely peacefulness, a happiness. And that's called sukha. We go from piti sukha. Sukha does not have that exuberance of the very young feeling of rapture that we get when we first experience the, the fruit of having the stillness of mind. So be very, very careful. You, It's a bit like praise and blame, very tricky. You think praise is so nice, let's get more of it. But praise is painful because why? It ends. It's definitely ending. It's on its way out, just like youth. Youth is also ending. Look at all the blemishes and wrinkles. And the skin, if you pull it, it just, you know, (laughs) it's no longer resilient. It doesn't bounce back anymore. It ends. It dies. So that joy will also die. And the happiness and peace that we gain from the mind growing even more still is the maturing of that rapture. It's what happens when we get old as human beings and we begin to contemplate our life and savor the beauty of it if we live the skillful life. We feel very full. I don't want to be young again. I don't want to be crippled either. Of course. There is something that comes with having lived well and contemplating a life that and it one does feel a certain fullness and a certain happiness with that. It's a maturing. That's also within the meditation practice. There comes a deeper spiritual maturity when we're not like little joyful kids bouncing around. We're just enjoying a subtle breeze It's a a subtle calm in the mind. It's a quietness. And we sit there. And it it becomes very, very spacious. (laughs) The very next, the fifth and last factor, which I'll discuss this afternoon, is equanimity. The mind is so still, and so one-pointed, nothing will move it. This, This is already the... The fulfillment of these five factors is the precursor or the fulfillment of jhana. The mind becomes so absorbed that it won't move. Even if people are out in the hall talking and um, taking off their coats or even knocking on the door, we won't move. We will just sit in our own experience. We've reached that place of deep one-pointedness where nothing... Nothing can distract us, even the train, the loudest train. The curiosity has led to a complete absorption, a complete interest in what, is what we're experiencing in that one moment. It's that quality of equanimity and single-mindedness brings up, it has the capacity, if we then turn the mind towards wisdom towards understanding our experience, and awareness of all these five factors operating in the mind, then the mind knows the mind. Consciousness is aware of itself, and that kind of knowing, that kind of vast, empty spaciousness in the mind, is the very stream that takes us to the deathless. Nibbana means the cessation. You see how the mind has become more and more and more still all these factors deepen deepen our concentration then when we with right mindfulness and awareness use that concentration as the landing strip for a moment of awakening we we reach the cessation even of consciousness and that's a moment of true liberation this is very deepest kind of purification a human being can experience. And it all begins with coming into the room, sitting down, taking up the practice of breathing, aiming at the breath, returning to the breath in non-distracted ways, and applying our mind to the object with curiosity and interest in the right way, regardless of what we're experiencing. So we're always applying some kind of equanimity to our practice until it matures and matures and matures. And even if there's no equanimity at all, we know how to work with what's arising so that we can keep coming down to the midpoint of the breath. Go to the very middle point of what you're hearing, what you're feeling, the pain in your body. Go to the middle of the pain. Touch it with your mindfulness. Feel it. Study it. See it for what it is. And let it be. Let it be. Let it be. So I'll stop there for this afternoon.